0: a job, and it makes a man watchful
1: and a little lonely.
0: Come on in for an evening of poems and stories about the American West, a land of legend, of romance, of friendship and courage, a motherlode of remembrance, a true showcase of the Old West with the old cowboy, J.C. Hulsey.
2: We've got another fantastic show for you today here on the Wild West Showdown. We're going to be talking with Arthur Celia Hayes a little later, and we've got some special music that I think you're going to really enjoy. But right now, I want to talk to you about something that was very important in the Wild West, the general store. What was a general store like in the 19th century? It sure wasn't nothing like Walmart's, that's for sure. Most stores had at least one display window, but inside they were still dark and gloomy and depending on where they were located, probably damp and humid. Most were crowded with shelving along every wall. The floors were also crammed with boxes, barrels, crates, and tables holding goods. The front counter held display cases for smaller items as well as needed machinery, such as a coffee grinder, scale for weighing merchandise, and a cash register. Surplus items were stored in a cellar or basement or possibly on the second floor, if that wasn't where the grocer's family was living, We'd recognize most items found in a general store. Food included coffee beans, spices, baking powder, oatmeal, flour, sugar, hard candy, eggs, milk, butter, fruit, vegetables, honey, and just about anything that a person would need. There was also a large number of patent medicines, remedies, soaps, and toiletries, and elixirs. The major difference between a lot of these items and modern ones is that none of them were tested to see if they actually worked. Most remedies of that era were alcohol-based, which explained their popularity in many cases. The dry goods section of the store included bolts of cloth, pins and needles, thread, ribbons, silk, buttons, collars, undergarments, suspenders, anything that a person would want to wear. Some of the more important items were rifles, pistols, ammunition, lanterns, lamps, rope, anything to help us survive in the Wild West. Sometimes even coffins could be found inside a general store. Most folks today wouldn't consider them to be very clean. The roads outside were unpaved, and the dirt tracked in by customers probably included animal waste and possibly human if someone had emptied their chamber pot into one of the streets. The cast-iron stove heating the store during cold winter produced soot, which settled over much of the merchandise. It was not unheard of to discover rodents forging about in the store. When money was scarce, the shopkeeper might extend credit to a regular customer. Yes, the general stores of the past aren't what we're used to today, but it was one of the most important establishments of that era. We're going to be talking with Arthur Celia Hayes in a little bit, but right now let's hear some special music. This is Carrie Haywood singing her original song, Hold On. Mm -hmm.
3: I love the way our eyes are drawn every time we meet Wanna hang out, wanna hold you, I won't let you go Want you to love me, want you to miss me, we won't let it show Hold up.
2: think about that young lady's song. That's Carrie Haywood. Now let's talk with Miss Celia Hayes. We want to welcome to the Wild West Showdown today, Arthur Celia Hayes. Welcome, Miss Hayes.
4: Hi, JC. Happy to be here.
2: I notice you call yourself the accidental Texan.
4: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: All the Texans I know was either born here or they couldn't wait to get here. Can you explain what an accidental Texan is?
4: I wound up here almost by accident. Okay. Uh, I uh, retired out of the Air Force. Yeah. I had a house here, and my daughter was in high school, and Texas began to grow on me, uh, especially when it began to, to write, seriously.
2: Texas does grow on people, I understand.
4: It certainly does. It takes a little bit of getting used to sometimes, and <laughs> some things I don't think I'll ever get used to, like the summer heat, but hey, it keeps out the riffraff.
2: I read on Facebook where you're the owner-operator of Watercrest Press. Is that correct?
4: That is. I, I went into partnership with the uh, lady that founded it about five or six years ago uh-huh. because we, we had many similar tastes in common, and she wanted to hand on the business to somebody that would look after it. So she began training me up in publishing, and I developed some skills, like in formatting, designing the interior of, of books. And I talked to into uh, setting up the division to do publish-on-demand. She had been accustomed to going to a local printer. So we wound up establishing a, an imprint for Watercress. We've done very well with it.
2: This new technology we have of being able to print-on-demand has really helped the independent author?
4: Oh, yes. Yes, it had enormously. And the other aspect to it was the development of online retailers such as Amazon. Publishing was not just a New York thing anymore.
2: Do you find it difficult at times wearing two different hats, being an author and a publisher?
4: Well, I find it makes it a little bit easier because I can sit down and I can work on my own books You know, I do a pretty good job of formatting. Uh, We've also managed to keep it in the family. I'm training my daughter as an editor and to do uh, things like website maintenance. And she is actually turning to writing herself. We're co-writing a a book together, which I hope to bring out uh, before the end of the year.
2: I noticed on your Amazon author page that you published a book in 2004, then there weren't any more until 2011. Is there a reason for this?
4: Yes. Actually, that was my kind of first book. I right. called it my training wheels book. It was a collection of essays that readers had bugged me about that I put on the website that I was contributing to. And then I just I didn't do very much until I had an inspiration a couple of years later for another book. And that was that was Two Truckees Trail. And that one I think I brought out in about 2006 or seven. And since then, it's been pretty regularly one a year.
2: I see 13 titles on Amazon. I understand you have number 14 in the near future.
4: Yes, that's Sunset and Steel Rails, and it should be on Amazon the 10th of next month.
2: By the way, let me tell you, that's a beautiful cover. Did you have any part in designing that cover?
4: Yes, it's composed of four different pictures, and my my brother is a graphic artist. So the sunset is the background in the sky. That's one of my pictures. The grass meadow, that's another one of my pictures. The picture of the train engine came from a friend of mine. I think it was on loan from the railroad museum there. And my little brother took the picture of the railroad track. And I had done up sort of a sample composition of kind of what I wanted, and he just ran with it.
2: How much research do you do for one of your books?
4: It The trilogy about the German settlement in the Hill Country took me about two years to research and to write. I would stop and check out books to look up specifics. I think I checked out just about every book there was in the San Antonio library system about the German settlements. A year of research and a year of writing.
2: Do you speak the German language?
4: I learned it in high school and college. I was to the point where I could understand, I could get the drift of what people were talking about.
2: Why did you decide to write about the German history?
4: Oh, well, because I had such fun in writing Chucky's Trail, and I thought after I was done that I, I wanted to write another one, but it would have to be on the western frontier. Uh, I'd always been attracted to writing and reading about the frontier, and I kicked around a couple of different notions for a month or so, and then I realized The Germans was an incredible story.
2: When did you decide you wanted to be an author?
4: Oh, I'd always wanted to be. From the time I was in about 11th or 12th grade, I wanted to be a writer. I studied English. And then I realized that if I if I really wanted to get into it seriously, I'd have to get out of the academic establishment. I'd have to go and have a real life, you know, do something interesting, do something, travel. Because all the authors that I really appreciated and really liked, they'd all done something else for a living other than hang out in the academic establishment. So I took the step of joining the Air Force. I wanted to travel. I wanted to go overseas. I wanted to have adventures. And the Air Force pretty much delivered. I had intended to be a public affairs type because there's always a bit of writing involved in that. But I wound up as a broadcaster instead, and there was even more writing involved in that.
2: When did you write your first novel?
4: That was to Truckee's Trail, and that was in 2006. It was a a story of a wagon train that always interested me, because they were two years before the Bonner Party. They did everything right, and even though they did get stuck in the mountains, too, uh, and caught in the snow and nearly ran out of supplies, they still got out to California with two more than they started with. But everybody's heard about the Donner Party.
2: Have you ever wanted to quit?
4: Nope, nope, never, nope.
2: You had never wanted to quit? You never get discouraged?
4: No, I'm usually working on two different projects at the same time, and then the stuff for the publishing firm. So, no, I never have time to get bored, and I never have, I'm, when I get stuck on one project, I work on the other for a while.
2: How do you find time for all this social media stuff and still have time to write and be a publisher?
4: I'm not all that active on social media. I try and keep it down to an hour or so. I write still for a couple of blogs. I've got my own website, sort of semi-active on Facebook. I follow a couple of other writers. I try and do local events as much as possible.
2: What do readers want to know about Celia Hayes?
4: They want another story. They want another story about uh, some of the characters they've grown accustomed to.
2: I find the characters trying to take control in my stories. Do your characters do the same thing?
4: Sometimes they do. The ones that, for some reason, click with me, and that is why I wound up writing.
2: Where can we find Celia Hayes' books?
4: On Amazon, of course. Barnes & Noble. My books are also available through my own website. If you wanted to, to buy one directly from me, www. Okay.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about this new book of yours, Luna City?
4: It's a small town in South Texas. It's about where Marie is about 10 miles north of Carn City about 2,500 people give or take a lot of the characters are a little bit eccentric the high school football team is called the Mighty Fighting Luna Moth. they actually haven't won a championship in forever but their marching band is absolutely awesome their homecoming game is under a queer sort of curse every three or four years there's some sort of disaster that hits the homecoming game and it can be any Anything from a plague of rats to frogs, uh, a stray bull, uh, a stampede of Nilgai antelope, thunderstorm, a, a crushing thunderstorm, an explosion in the dumpsters behind the porta potties, just about anything. And so people are kind of nervous about this curse. Um, the Little Town Cafe is run by a runaway English celebrity chef who got tired of celebrity and wound up in Luna City. About half to two-thirds of the town is named Gonzales, a Gonzales with a Z or Gonzales with an S. And they're all descended from the original Gonzales, but they don't know whether his last name was an S or a Z because the handwriting on the original land grant was was so awful. They couldn't tell if it was a Z or an S. And when they found the gentleman's tombstone decades later, the corner of the tombstone was broken off. There's a, a ranch There are a couple of elderly hippies that run a uh, goat farm and campground, and it's called Hippie Hollow. There's an enormously well-manicured destination venue just down the road called Mills Farm, which is kind of a curious place in itself. And we have a, we're created like a rotating cast of about 40 different people.
2: And you're writing this story with your daughter, is that correct?
4: Yes, she's coming up with the characters and some of the plot, and uh, I'm doing the conversation and the description.
2: How do you come up with your titles and your characters?
4: Golly, some of them just come out of nowhere.
2: It amazes me to see how the brain works. Just out of nowhere, that's what you said.
4: Honestly, sometimes I kind of do like a mental casting call that, you know, I need for a character to, you know, appear and do something and it should, the character, he or she should be, you know, about this age, look kind of like this, and they just sort of build. And then sometimes they just come out of nowhere and they're already there. I know what they look like, what they talk like, who they are. Uh, It's very strange when that happens.
2: And you've got a new book coming out this month, I believe.
4: Sunset and Steel Rails. And Tales of Luna City is supposed to come out probably toward the end of November.
2: We've enjoyed having you as our special guest today on the Wild West Showdown. I want to give you an invitation to come back and visit anytime.
4: Sure, anytime.
2: Talk to you later. Now let's hear some more music. This duet calls themselves the Moron Brothers.
1: I'm Lardo, and I'm Burley, and, and we're, we're the, the Moron, Moron Brothers. Brother.
0: Got a frog in my throat. Let me tell you a little story right quick. We got a song called Ignorant But Happy. That's what daddy used to say to us all the time when we was kids, because we just went around and grinned all the time. He said, Y'all just ignorant and think you happy. He was a genius, though. Done the smartest thing I ever seen anybody do. We was kids playing, it was hot in the summertime. You know how them old flies and gnats gang around your face and stuff? Well, they was aggravating us to death, and he watched us for a while and called us over to the porch cut the seed out of our britches. They wasn't around our head no more. Burley still does it sometimes. Y'all need to try it. It works.
1: In the words of our old pappy, we're just ignorant think we're happy. Nothing seems to bother us at all. We seldom ever worry, we're never in a hurry In the words of our old pappy, we're just ignorant, think we're happy Some people born with a lot of brains and some are born good looking Some are born to be rich and some are born with nothing But the good Lord know what he was doing when he made us unaware We turned out poor and ugly and we don't even care well, I got an old pickup truck She ain't worth more than 50 bucks Gets me where I'm going, don't you see? Other day going down the road I fell through a floorboard hole Guess you call it my bad luck I got runnin' over on my own truck In the words of our old pappy We're just ignorant. think we're happy Nothing seems to bother us at all we seldom ever worry, we're never in a hurry In the words of our old pappy, we're just ignorant, think we're happy Now
0: we take Burley's truck everywhere we go Remember back last fall, we went Christmas shopping at the local mall When we come out, we couldn't find his truck, we learned a in time for six hours we looked for Burley's truck, and remember, we drove mine. Last year we went to Nashville, me and Burley, and our wives. They bought what we thought was toothpaste. Dang near took our lives. When we brushed our teeth, our throat shrunk up, and our mouth grew down so small. Don't brush your teeth with Preparation H, it ain't toothpaste at
1: all. In the words of our old Pappy, we're just ignorant, think we're happy. But nothing seems to bother us at all. We seldom ever worry, we're never in a hurry. In the words of our old Pappy, we're just ignorant, think we're happy. In the words of our old Pappy, we're just ignorant, think we're happy. You're ignorant. <laughs> With a capital E.
2: (laughs) I told you we was going to have some music that you would enjoy. If you sit there and listen to that without tapping your foot, you better check your heartbeat. You can bet we're going to have them boys back. Here's a little bit more about that general store. This is San Antonio, Texas, 1853. Pork, 11 cents a pound. Bacon twelve and a half to fifteen cents a pound. Salt beef eight and a half to nine cents a pound. Fresh beef was four and a half cents a pound. Flour four to fourteen cents for a pound. Hard bread ten cents. Beans ten and a half cents a quart. Rice eight to ten cents a pound. Coffee twelve and a half cents a pound. Sugar seven and a half to eight cents a pound. Vinegar six and a quarter cents a quart. Wheat was sixty three to sixty five cents for a hundred pounds. Rye forty to forty five cents for a hundred pounds. Oats sixteen to twenty cents for a hundred pounds. Barley forty to forty five cents for a hundred pounds. Potatoes eighteen to twenty three cents a bushel. Butter sixteen to eighteen cents a pound. Eggs sixteen to eighteen cents a dozen. Boy it sure makes us wish for the old days, don't it? I could go on and on and on. Kind of makes me wish for the old days when my wife comes back with a carload of groceries from Walmart. Let's have some more cowboy poetry. This is Mark Munzart, reciting Bronx Life.
5: When I cross over and then come back, gonna be a Bronco with a rider on back. I'm waiting in the chute with a smile smiling heart. This poke won't finish, he'll barely start. Back to the ranch, a parcel my own. Buff, tough bucking horse, handsome and roan. Withers to haunch, big, full, and round. Likely the strongest, pound for pound. Eyes deep, lively, telling. People, some close. Others, (laughs) I send yelling. I move pure, regal, honest, and true. No one cowfolk turn for a view. The mares love me and the fillies flirt. The foals look up. Howdy, squirt. But I ain't just brawn a whole lot ahead. I'll brain you, toss you, and leave you for dead. Snort, stomp, buck, and prance. Spur cowboy, tain't even a chance. I worked a few seconds. You was beat. Run along, buckaroo. Go have a seat. I kicked up my heels, all ornery and mean. Dang, that was fun. Good and clean. All done here, another go, off to my custom trailer tow. Another stop and another win. Why, you never seed a horse, grin. On to lush grass, cool water and grain. Rough stock life? No, gravy train. When I cross over and then come back, gonna be a Bronco. No rider on back. Thank you, Mark. That was great. We we'll want to give a
2: special thank you to Miss Celia Hayes for being our special guest today. And a special shout out goes to Carrie Hayward and especially to the Moron Brothers for our special music. Now all you cowboys listen up. Don't corner something that would normally run from you. This is the old cowboy J.C. Hulsey saying adios and happy trails. Come
0: on back next week to the Wild West Showdown with the old cowboy J.C. Holsey. Uh